Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, D. Yeah? Did I tell you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is sponsored by Rattleback Records? No. Well, it is. Rattleback Records at 5405 North Clark Street is Andersonville's full-service record store. Hey, D. Did I tell you it was voted one of Chicago's best record stores in the 2019 Chicago Reader Poll? No. Well, it was. Wow. Rattleback Records, 5405 North Clark Street. Used and new LPs and 45s. They got CDs, DVDs, books, gifts, and much more. For more information, contact them at rattlebackrecords.com. That's R-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-C-K Records. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, February 27th is just moments away. It's our one year anniversary today. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, one year older, one year wiser. Before we get this uh, going here, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Also, uh, moving forward on the program, we need music, all right? So if you know anybody, if you're in a band or you know someone in a band who needs some exposure, well, we'd be more than happy to play their music if they don't sue us. <laughs> yeah, or threaten to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're having a little copyright issue here. So, uh, yeah, if you could just, whatever music you may have, we'd love to play it. BennyJShow at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. Year number two of the podcast. New music, huh? New pumped music. Pumped about that? New year, new music. Oh, you look so pumped about that. <laughs> All right. New year, new music. <laughs> Gotta get a t-shirt. Gotta get a hat. Sell it for $17.95, just like Michael Bloomberg. The following union sponsor this program, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. It is Thursday, February 27th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, our good friend Peter P.C. Cunningham is back, and our Cannabis Conversations series continues with Lisa Solomon and reefer chef Edgar Ramon. Now your host, not a reefer chef. 
Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. You're supposed to call it cannabis, right? Cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. That's what I'm learning, Peter Cunningham. Call it cannabis. Don't call it reefer. A weed? Nope. Mary Jane? Nope. No. Pot? <laughs> Smoke? Nope. Pot? Nope. Nothing? Nope. Okay. P- PC's been known to indulge, but only back in the day, okay? Back when he was a kid in New York. Not as a political strategist in the city of Chicago. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Just want to get that clear. People say, oh, he plays the guitar, he sings old rock songs, he must be a pothead. No, he is not a pothead, all right? Uh, So thank you for bringing your guitar. We're going to talk a lot of political issues, a lot of uh, economic development issues, but you're so gracious. Uh, You promised to bring your guitar this time. Every other time he comes, he brings his guitar, and you're going to sing a song for us. It's going to be an original song or a cover? An original song. Excellent. And you will allow us to use it? uh, Sure. My man. All right. We'll plug you, man. We'll plug it. <laughs> we'll plug the hell out of Pete. We got a cease and desist letter. We didn't get a cease. I call it a cease and desist letter. But uh, we got a complaint about some of the music that I thought was just part of the public domain that we began the show with. So we we got that notice this uh, morning right before we went on the air. So we've been kind of joking with that, Peter Cunningham. All right. I always talk about Peter, an old friend of mine here in the city of Chicago, and the role he played. Uh, for in the daily administration, not uh, in the Rom administration. He's not. He never worked for Rom, but his role, as I always said, was to reach out to people like me, lefties, people on the other side, uh, to to let them know that at least Daly was going to listen to us. He may not do what we want him to do, but at least he'll listen to us. And that was a role that you played, and you kind of played that role to some degree with Arnie Duncan when you went to Washington and worked for him. Uh, and here in Chicago. And here in Chicago. Even yeah. with Rom, even if you weren't, you would try to tell me, he's not as bad as you say he is, Ben. Uh, I used to, Rom used to come over to my house sometimes and I'd have all these lefty friends there and everything like that. And then I, you know, Rom might call me and say, what are you doing? I got some people coming over. Who, those commie friends of yours? <laughs> so, you know, whatever. <laughs> there might have been an F-bomb in front of the word commie or two. There uh, might have been. Yeah. been. Alright, so. Uh, Speaking of Rom, have you read his book? Uh, no, I read the excerpt that was in the Chicago Sun-Times. Let me say this. I read Rom's brother's book. Did you ever read the brother's book? Zeke? Yeah, it's Zeke. It's about the ethics or what is it about? Uh, no, the, the, the book is about the Emanuel, growing up Emanuel. Oh, and it was, so this uh, is the second book about that. Yes. Although so I read the this first one's about book. running a city, how to run a city. Yeah, but it was all the part I read in the Sun-Times is biographical. He talked about his material. Uh, his grandfather who was a lefty who was a lefty so he would show probably be the guy that would show up at your house and Ron would curse him out that his grandfather i just want to let everybody know his grandfather had my politics okay uh it sounded like a great guy uh but i haven't read the book i just read that excerpt i read his brother's book i reviewed it and i also reviewed uh uh mayor one percent uh Kyrie leiterson's book and on the paperback i'm very proud of this fact i am quoted my reviews are quoted on uh, the Ezekiel Manual paperback cover and the Kyrie Leiderson paperback cover. How about that? Huh? There you go. I covered I, uh, it. Th- I think there was an event at the hideout um, about her book, about Mayor 1%, and I told him about it. And he said, I'm going over there. He goes over there. He walks right up to the table, introduces himself, opens up the book and writes in it, go F yourself. Um, Manuel. Uh, that sounds like my guy. By the way, you're allowed to say it. It is a podcast, but I, I appreciate yeah. the restraint. Uh, all it's right. It's a family podcast. It's a family right. podcast. All right. So, uh, Peter, here's the question I have for you. Uh, you, you have found yourself uh, traditionally playing a role, being a bridge, uh, bridging the, um, the left and the center and the Democratic Party. 
Do you think that those two factions are bridgeable uh, in the age of Bernie Sanders and Bloomberg and Joe Biden and the contentious debates? Do you think, even you, do you think you can make that bridge work? Absolutely, and I'll tell you why. I think that um, uh, we're allowing labels to define us instead of issues and values to define us. And the truth is, you look at everybody up on that stage and you think, oh, Buddha Judge, there he is, Mr. Hypercentrist, super smart and everything, doing his thing. There's Bloomberg, a guy who, you know, had one strategy on stop and frisk that wasn't popular, but has another strategy on gun control that is super popular on the left and, you know, is related to the same issue in some ways, right? Violence, gun violence. Then you have um, uh, him on uh, uh, climate change, you know, big funder of climate change initiatives at the same time, obviously a big, you know, finance guy who doesn't like Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. So sure, there are differences and issues, but when you really get down to it, what everybody's talking about, what Bernie's talking about with his brand of socialism is just an, ex a, a, you know, a, a more robust safety net. As you pointed out earlier, it's the same, um, same agenda that Jesse Jackson had in uh, 1988. It's an agenda that, you know, to one degree or another, FDR had, right? Security, you know, freedom from want. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's everything that was in the New Frontier or, or, the, or the Great Society. Which was it? The Great Frontier? The, the New Frontier and the Great Society. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's the middle class promise. It's job, home, health care, education, retirement. People, you know, what are all these millennials so upset about? Because school has become so expensive that they're all saddled with debt. Because health care is so expensive that a lot of them are making decisions to uh, avoid health expenses. You know, you can when you're young to some degree. Uh, they're upset because wages are not that high and because housing has become increasingly expensive. These are all bread and butter issues. So how far away really is Bernie Sanders, call, call it bread and butter socialism, from Joe Biden's middle class agenda? Mm -hmm. It's not that far. And I just think we're, we're you know, succumbing to labels and obviously we're succumbing to uh, framing and positioning from the other side. And the real trick, the real question Democrats should be asking is who can best Outframe. Who can best outmessage? Who can best present the democratic vision in a way that makes all kinds of people nod their head and say, "This is what I want." Uh, you know, the fact is, Trump did that in '16, right? He convinced a lot of white working-class people that he was on their side. We all know he wasn't on their side. They should know that now. If they don't know it, one of us has to explain it. And so, who do you think is best positioned right now to make that case? Uh, I think that Elizabeth and Bernie are making it more effectively than anyone. Um, and I think it's because the ones in the center, uh, I mean, I think they're all doing a pretty good job, uh, uh, Amy and Buttigieg in particular. Uh, I, I think Biden looks, I mean, he looks like what he is, which is a guy from the past. He, he, it just looks like that. He sounds like it. You know, he he sort of claimed to take credit for every single thing that that had <laughs> yeah. happened. I did this in '70. I yeah. did this in '87. I did this in '94. I did this in '02, and I did this in under Barack Obama. Well, a lot of people did that, you know. But so he he feels to me the most um, out of tune. But I think um, you know any one of the four candidates uh, remaining. I, I can, the main four. Yeah, I guess if you count Bloomberg, that would be fine. All right. Well, uh, what would you say to your friends uh, on, let's say, 
the uh, the middle of the Democratic Party or the right side of the Democratic Party to reassure them about Bernie Sanders. We talk, I know you were in the studio listening to Miles and I talk about uh, the concerns that Bernie's at the top of the ticket would lead to uh, not just a landslide, electoral college landslide for Trump, but a down ballot losses. So what would your message be to assuage them of these fears? Uh, well, I think I would... Um dig further into the issue you raised, which is that if you look historically, you see that people frequently um, uh, vote uh, vote one way at the top of the ticket and another way. They split their voting. Uh, the old days of, you know, straight ticket voting, you know, which Cook County Democrats always loved, mm-hmm. uh, is, is, not that, is not the way most people do it now. Um, that's one issue. I think that, you know, Bernie's going to have to take a story to a much broader audience if, if he's nominated. You know, if you do the math, the percentage of uh, Democratic voters who are voting is something like 14 percent in the primary. So it's very low. And the percentage that he's got of that is about a third of them. So he's got 5 percent of Democrats. I mean, 5 percent of the country voting for him so far. He's got a long way to go to convince the other 45 percent to get to 50 50 plus one and beat Trump in the fall. He's going to have to start to change how he talks about this. And nobody thinks he's talking about Venezuela or Russian or Cuban-style socialism. He's talking about a safety net. He's talking about a Swedish-style socialism. It's still going to be capitalism. He's not really talking about getting rid of capitalism. He's never said that, even though Elizabeth has been more robust about saying I'm for capitalism. And if you think the superdelegates are determined to block him from the nomination, Imagine how the Democratic centrist Congress and members of the Senate are going to block him from doing anything really crazy <laughs> if he actually becomes president. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, they're not going to let him have Medicare for all. They're going to force him to, to transition to that or public option or whatever. They, I, I just think that that's what will happen unless he had some overwhelming mandate, which, you know, is unlikely. Well, if he gets an overwhelming case. mandate, let's hope we can finally get Medicare for all. If there's an overwhelming mandate for Bernie Sanders... And they still don't come up with Medicare for all. Fair enough. If he <laughs> if he wins forty nine states, then I think <laughs> that's he's got what a, it's going to take. I think I think he's got a case. I just want to point something out: the difference between a Democrat and a Republican. Donald Trump lost the popular vote in twenty sixteen. Lost the popular vote. Okay. Right. right. Eked out electoral college victory by very close wins in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, yeah. and claimed a mandate right. that enabled him to cut the tax rate on the wealthiest people, which I don't think anybody wanted him to do. No. Or, well, not anybody. I know rich people wanted him to do it. So they didn't even like him though. But he did have a lot of people at his inauguration. Right. <laughs> Good point. I forgot All, more, I, more than Obama. I mean, a lot of them came late, and they came the next day. They missed it, but there were a lot of people they were there. Confused. Oh, yeah. oh, wait a second. No, that was a different. That was a different. Yeah, uh, I get your point. All right. Uh, so uh, you talked about socialism, and uh, uh, the, we were joking bread about bread and butter socialism. Uh, bread and butter socialism. Uh, Bloomberg's got hats he's selling for seventeen ninety five. I can't get over that. Why anybody would give the eighth richest man in the world, Pete, 17. Bloomberg, just give the hats away for crying out loud. God damn, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, God, dude, you're like, got so much money. Give the hats away. What kind of sucker would give Bloomberg $18? Right, right, exactly. Uh, by the way, where are those hats made? I want to see, are those hats made in China? Or are they uh, made in the U.S. of A? Does anyone make hats in the U.S. of A anymore? 
Uh, do you not know the answer? Where's that hat, hat made? I that one you're wearing? China. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, right. I got it from the Bulls, all right? Um, all right. So, uh, but you were saying that uh, geezers like me, uh, baby boomers like me, have one view of social, and you, uh, you're a young baby boomer, uh, have one view of socialism. And uh, right, I saw a great quote from from somebody the other day saying that you know for baby boomers socialism meant gulags and bad shoes, and for millennials <laughs> it means Swedish healthcare and free education. So, I think that's kind of true. You know, they, nobody's talking about gulags and bad shoes. They're talking about free healthcare and education. So you you don't think uh, that that's the kiss of death, the socialist label. Uh, even though we we're pounding him, they, the other Dems were pounding him with that uh, at the debate. Yeah, and you know, I worked for Hickenlooper, who made a big point of it. So you know, although it, that he sort of took that tack before I got involved with him, but nevertheless, um, I don't think it is. I think he just needs to do a good job of explaining what he really means, and what he really means is in a, uh, is a better safety net. And yes, he means Medicare for all. He means what same thing they have in Britain and Canada which are not socialist countries by any stretch. That's what he's talking about. He just needs to help more and more people understand that. And like I said, he's not talking to that vast middle yet. He's talking to his base because that's how you win a primary. Yeah. And, you know, to his credit, he's running a good campaign. Yeah, that's how you win a primary. I hope everybody uh, hears that last point. I agree. That's how you win a primary. you got to win that primary. Especially now. with a big field. I mean, you got to, you know, he needs 15% of the Democratic base to, to, to win the primary, and he's got it. All right. And your thoughts about the brokered convention. Do you think if, uh, Bernie should be the candidate automatically if he has a plurality of the popular vote? In this? I don't. I mean, everybody agreed on the rules. We all knew the rules. Um, and we've had these rules before. Um, the idea is that... That, uh, you know, uh, uh, if, if he doesn't, if all he has is a plurality, you know, if he had a majority and there's about 3,900 votes and it's 1991 in order to get the majority of pledged delegates, and if he has a majority, he gets it. If he doesn't have a majority, that means a majority voted against him, okay? Maybe he has 40%. That means 60% voted against him. Mm -hmm. That's a signal that, that, you know, he's vulnerable. And so why not? then have a harder question from, you know, why not have, you know, call the question, is he really electable? That's, that's the whole point of the process. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I mean, if Mike Bloomberg spent a couple of billion dollars and gets a plurality, but doesn't get a majority, isn't it a legitimate then to ask him uh, whether he's electable? I mean, that's a possibility, yeah. frankly, you know? I mean, we, yeah, I mean we're going to see on Super Tuesday whether uh, he's capable of buying a serious, serious stake in the election. You talk about Bloomberg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been all over TV, and most of the other guys haven't. And these are huge places, Texas, California. These are huge, huge places where tons of it's expensive. Uh, so, you know, let's let's just get the numbers straight. I think Bernie has 45 delegates right now. Yeah, no, you're you know, right. I know. You know, I mean, uh, who's number two? Uh, Buttigieg has 25. Warren has, you know, Biden has 15. Warren has 10. I mean, we, we're nowhere yet, but it is going to move fast. I give you credit 
for being able to rattle off those numbers. Even I, the political geek that I am, did not know the delicate breakdown. 45 to 25. Yeah. Uh, did you just study that before you came in here? I for did. This show? I, I did. I, I boned up on a couple of numbers. I mean, uh, yeah. I come prepared for this okay. show, man. You don't think I just show up here? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't think you just. He brought your guitar this time. Uh, we'll get to that song. All right. Uh, so let's move from um, national to local. And uh, when you come on the show, we usually talk about uh, criminal justice issues uh, in the city of Chicago, crime rates, et cetera. You know, one of the things that we have, I don't know if we've talked about it, um, is uh, the, uh, I just wrote about it, so it's on my mind. Get your thoughts on this. The curious contradiction uh, that exists right now uh, in, uh, in politics. Donald Trump is very proud of the fact that uh, he commuted the sen- sentence of Rob Blagojevich. Uh, and he says he did that uh, in the name of compassion for uh, Rob Bogoyevich's family. Um, and he also says he did that uh, because he wanted to reform the criminal justice system. Now, I'm saying this with a straight face. I'm reporting. What because because the criminal justice system is so unfair to uh, white middle-aged guys. Yes. Uh, politicians. Yes. It's really unfair to them. They've been targeted unfairly. It's a shame. Yeah. yeah. At, at the same time, uh, Donald Trump is uh, a vigorous opponent of Kim Fox and her reforms on the local level uh, and uses the Justice Smollett case every chance he gets uh, to malign city of Chicago, malign Kim Fox, malign the notion that we should be more tolerant to like first-time offenders for low-level offenses who can't pay their bail and get locked away. Somehow or other, we should be compassionate toward, uh, as you say, middle-aged white guys who run afoul of the law, right. but we should be even harder on poor black people who even, run afoul of the law. Even if they're innocent, even if like the Central Park Five, they are innocent, we should still go after them with everything we have because that's Donald's idea of, you know, kind of macro justice. <laughs> Just, you know, we should separate kids at the border. There's so many things we need to do to make, to make things right and it has nothing to do with the Constitution. I found that one of the most cynical moves I actually favored uh, Blagojevich being released from prison. I thought 14 years was too much. Eight, he already served eight. So I favored it. But the way it was tried it out, I thought it was just one of the most cynical acts I've seen in a long time, uh, Peter, to, for Donald Trump, of all people, to use Rob Blagojevich to position himself, Donald Trump, as a champion of criminal justice reform was a little hard to swallow. It was more than hard to swallow. And I don't know if you follow the story that you saw the Tribune story about how many clemency cases Blagojevich ignored as governor. And I don't know whether you saw his appearance on uh, CNN with uh, Anderson, Anderson Cooper. Cooper. Holy cow, yeah. he really torched him. Uh, yeah, it was cynical. And I think the fact that, you know, I, I think he saw in Rod a fellow traveler who was willing to exploit that. Uh, from a media standpoint and get up there and play the victim, et cetera, instead of being contrite, instead of being, you know, simply grateful and vowing to really uh, contribute something positive uh, in his life, he decided to just dive right into this cynical play by the president. Now he's a Trumpocrat, is what he calls yeah, himself. Yeah, Trumpocrat, yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's uh, you know, he's, he's uh, unconscionable. Uh, so how does that play into the larger struggle that goes on here in the city of Chicago with crime. That's what I was linking it to, because ultimately uh, so much of our attitude about criminal justice and policing uh, is reinforced by our stereotypes, our fears. Uh, I think this is a very divisive issue, and uh, I think in so many ways uh, the mayor is is 
standing on with one foot on either side of it. Uh, I mean, she was sort of elected uh, on a platform of criminal justice reform. But she was running at a time, and we saw this in the polls for Daily, where the issue of crime was really rising in the minds not just of uh, uh, the African-American community where so much of the gun violence is, but in the North Side, in Lincoln Park, in, you know, where the occasional carjacking or the occasional armed robbery would get outsized attention, uh, or the occasional, you know, event down on Michigan Avenue with a bunch of kids running around would suddenly turn into a big deal. You see it now where a beating on the CTA uh, will get more attention, frankly, than a shooting in the African-American community. So, uh, so I think the, the mayor is under enormous pressure to reduce crime and to reform a criminal justice system. And, you know, guys like Trump and others are only playing one side. And Kim, uh, from a message standpoint, I think, has played the reform side, overplayed the reform side, and underplayed the fact that she's still actually putting bad guys in jail. Her office still is doing that uh, because that is what she was elected to do, even though, you know, she ran on a platform of criminal justice reform. I mean, this is this is not easy. I mean, you have to do both. You can't stop enforcing the law. And at the same time, you have to do a much better job of doing it fairly. And then every time there's an instance where uh, a person is let out of jail, uh, yeah, the, without commits, bail and commits another crime. That's all you need is one. Willie Horton. Willie Horton. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the easiest script in the world to write. And that 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 uh, will still happen. Trump, I think, talked about some, you know, immigrant uh, who uh, committed a rape and everything. Okay, we got it. But the macro facts show that immigrants commit less crime than native, you know, uh, than Americans. Yeah. You know, or, or citizens, I should say. Yeah, rather. and so... Uh, so how do you see this playing out with the, the Kim Fox race? Do you think Kim Fox can straddle this divide? Uh, and I, I predict she will win re-election on this one. Uh, but what's your take on it? Candidly, I haven't seen a poll, so I not that I. That's the only thing to tell you. I think that um, uh, I hope she wins because um, I think the uh, uh, the injustices in the system are significant. Uh, and we haven't done enough in Cook County. I mean, she's got a partner in Tony uh, who's trying to, you know, reduce the jail population and the sheriff as well. Uh, I think she has um, a partner at City Hall um, uh, in terms of reforming the police department to rebuild trust and to stop arresting guys for stupid crimes. Uh, she, you know, she has a partner at the state level. So the, you know, the stars are all aligned. So. I don't. I, I. I'm afraid to make a prediction about uh, about whether she'll win. I haven't seen the other guys quite quite surface. There's two other guys, right? There's two guys running, right? Three. Oh, there's three others. Yeah. Running. <laughs> well, that's all good for her. <laughs> and to be blunt about it, they're all they're all white. Uh, yes, they are. Yeah, yeah so. uh, they're all white. Two men, one woman. Uh, all right. And uh, you sent me the latest crime statistics. We talk about this all the time when you're on the show. Uh, the last time you were on the show, I think you were talking about how crime is falling in Chicago. Uh, there was an increase in February and January, according to what you sent me. I'm not quite sure what to make of this. Uh, yeah, it's very diffuse. It's um, uh, there's been more armed robberies, and that's different than like gang crime. You know, that's, that there's been um, uh, uh, there's been uh, a tragic number of uh, kids playing with guns, and that's contributed to. Some of the shootings, you know, uh, like young kids finding them by accident. I think several times that happened. There's one weekend, I think, where we had seven kids uh, shot. And, um, 
You know, there are a number of shootings inside homes, which, you know, that's not something you can, you know, expect the cops to do much about when people are pulling out guns in the middle of a house house party. Uh, so it's, it's, it's weird. It's not just gang wars by any means, uh, but clearly there's still a lot of that. When I talk to, um, I work with uh, a program here in Chicago called CRED that does a lot of work with directly with the guys at risk. And what they say is that the code, the codes have changed. There, there used to be a code that said you didn't sh- shoot innocent victims, uh, which is, you know, only semi-honorable. Obviously, they're still shooting, but they at least kept the fights among people who are in the gang wars or the drug trade or whatever. Yesterday, you saw at a, uh, or the day before yesterday, I think, in Avalon Park, yeah. you know, you see four people get shot. The, the guy they were aiming for, I think they missed and they hit four innocent people. One mm-hmm. of them was killed. I mean, they're, you know, the, the guys we work with, a lot of them are in their 30s, and you know, many of them have done time. They've come out, but you know, they're not active anymore in the street, and they're trying to fix it. And they say that, they, they, that that kind of stuff was very, very rare back then, and now it's increasingly common. And you know, they really want to see that. The other big factor they always talk about is social media, that social media has enabled people with guns to go to each other in public, so to speak, mm-hmm. very, very, very easily. They can send out an Instagram post or a tweet and say something to some enemy and goad them and humiliate them in the public. And next thing you know, you have somebody marching around the streets looking for each other to mm-hmm. shoot each other. Yeah. It's a really big uh, accelerant for the street violence. Yeah. By the way, I've been hearing, just so you know, this is how old I am. I've been hearing generation to generation people tell me, Ben, in the old days it was different. We settled our disputes. With fists. We settle our disputes with rocks. We said, right. I've been hearing this, Peter, since I moved to Chicago. Right. We only <laughs> shoot other gang members now. Okay. I, 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 just, I mean, I'm not I'm not making a joke or light of this, but it's just always I have constantly heard this refrain. And Chicago has always been, I just point this out, a very violent city. I think the highest number of homicides in the city. I'm doing this on the top of my head was 1973. Yes. If I'm wrong. No, yeah, yeah. 74, maybe. But it, 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 we were about 970. And in the 90s, uh, we were in the 900s as well. Um, so it had come down a lot. We were in the 400s for the, yeah. for the beginning of this decade. And then it shot up in 2016 so much. It went I struggle. up 60%. I struggle to find a pattern. I struggle to find a meaning. I struggle to find a solution. When I look at things like this and talk to people, uh, Peter, it, mm. it, you, you get what I'm saying? I yep. don't know what the cops did in 2017 uh, or what anybody did in 2017 to result in a decline. Now it seems to be going up. I mean, the one big thing the cops have done in the last few years, and it's a shame that it took them so long, this was a real failure, is they really got involved in data precision policing. Like, they, you know, they, they're, it's just built in now that they are examining trends much more closely down to the block, down to the incident, tracking it very, very closely, and doing everything they can to anticipate um, crime. I mean, you put a patrol car on a corner that you know is hot between the hours of 6 and 10 at night, that can help. Mm -hmm. But if you don't take time to study that data very closely, and they're doing that now more than they've ever done before. And other cities started doing that 20 years ago. So that that was uh, something I think we were a little behind on. All right. Uh, My next guests are in the studio, so we're going to have to make a transition. But before we do... Shouldn't we have Peter play a song? He brought us guitar, uh, and uh, he's promised that he's not going to sue us if we play this song. Can you do like uh, like a Black Magic Woman thing or something? Does to... 
Isn't that it? Yeah. We can play that. I don't think we can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm We're gonna... playing that one. And let Santana send me a cease and desist letter. I don't think he would. One of my Carlos faves. What, Carlos Santana? Yeah. Love Carlos Santana. So uh, this is a song, uh, a friend of mine who you know very well, David Axelrod, wrote a great piece in the New York Times back in September saying that um, people are exhausted by Trump. He's just exhausting. Every day, the endless uh, need for attention, the endless manufacturing of, of, uh, of, you know, disputes and endlessly just drawing attention to himself. And... Um, you know, in order to win in the fall, uh, we don't need every vote in America. You just need 50 plus one. And there's a sliver of people there in the middle who may be on the fence. But he's convinced that uh, that. that By the way, you do not need 50 plus one. I just want to correct you on that yeah, point. You're right. you, you, you can not... win by losing. And when it comes to. Right. I, had a cor- I didn't correct you the first time you said it, but Donald right, Trump. You need 60 plus one, okay? Yeah, you, but I don't know what you, you need. need. A, you need a super majority. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, uh, I wrote this song. It's called Tired. And... I'm tired of the wind and the rain I'm tired of having to explain So many grins and lies So many sad goodbyes Never felt less inspired Mmm, I'm tired Yes, I'm tired of settling scores I'm tired of losing wars Tired of the cons and the pros I'm tired of the emperor's new clothes Is it any wonder we lost our desire? Everybody's tired (laughs) Aren't you? I'm wide awake. So hard to see our way out of this mess. The thought of any more leaves me distressed. Yes, I'm tired of the scuff on my shoes. I'm tired of sifting through clues. Tired of just getting by. Tired of having to try. I sleep like a dog. I wake up wired. Mm. Man, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we need to find a place to be alone. Someplace far away to call our own. The stoplights are all running red And there's too much noise in my head Stuck in a car full of clowns Can't go another round My nerves are frayed, my soul's on fire Uh, 
for some reason that brought back memories of Bob Dylan's song "Things Have Changed." Everything is broken. Yeah, you know that one. Uh, is that that's not "Things Have Changed"? I know that one. Things have uh, changed yeah. too. That's a good, great song. Uh, everything I do know, everything yeah. is broken. And then also, this is like totally out of the realm. Nobody will even know this one. Uh, there were Blazing Saddles, Saddles, the movie. Madeline Kahn. She sings a song. I'm tired. Everything from the waist down is kaput. Anyway, I uh, love Madeline Kahn. Uh, great job, Peter. That's a great song. I sleep like a dog. I wake up wired. Man, I'm tired. There you go. And we have permission to use it. You do. Oh, uh, correct. Use We're not going to get a cease and desist letter. Absolutely. You can have 50% of all revenues, too. Whoa, I'll take that. <laughs> all right. Uh, before we let we you go. We made it. Yeah. Before we get, let you go, anything you want to tell people about? Any concerts you got coming up or any conferences? Anything you want to Promote. No, I'm uh, I'm uh, thinking a lot about uh, just the crime issue because I'm doing some work in that area. Um, uh, there's a big uh, thing we're putting together for the fault for um, uh, you know Lori Lori Glenn. She's on the LG show. was just on uh, what was it Tuesday? Yeah, so killed it on Tuesday. So we're coordinating a lot on stuff um, and uh, and uh, I just think that that's a real challenge. I think the other big issue that we, we should talk about next time. I think we maybe mentioned it before is the Black Exodus of Chicago. Uh, and I think that uh, favorite topic on this show. You know, uh, the mayor's aware of it. She's talking about trying to grow the city to three million. She's talking about investing south and west. I think that's the existential challenge. It's not unrelated to crime, needless to say. So uh, that's that's what Chicago has to do. All right, Peter Cunningham, cousin of the show, once a month brings his guitar every other visit. Maybe I get him to bring the guitar every visit. That last song was super cool. Thank you so much, PC. Lisa Salmon on deck. Cannabis conversation with mystery guests. We'll see who it is when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options.com. So again, on behalf of Patty and Amy and Annie and me, we want to again express our, our deepest gratitude to President Trump. Like I said, as a Republican president and a Democratic governor, he didn't have to do this. But President Trump is not a typical politician. That's right. He's tough. He's outspoken. He gets things done. He's a problem solver in a business where too many politicians don't want to solve problems. All they want to do is play politics and get nothing done for the people. He's He's, he's got a, I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. If I have the ability to vote, I'm going to vote for him. Well, I don't know that they allow me to vote, but if, but I'll get into that in a minute. But let me just say that that, uh, that our, our president is, uh, he's tough and outspoken, and he has the courage to challenge the old way. That's right. He's the one who's actually fighting to bring real change. That's why he gets so much pushback. But notwithstanding being tough, he's also a man with a kind heart. 
By the way, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you see it? And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? We got enough problems with South Korea with trade. On top of it, they give them the best movie of the year. Was it good? I don't know. All right, everybody, it's primary election season. And if you're confused and don't know really much about the primary elections, well, never fear. Ben Jarofsky and Maya Dukmasova are here. Whoa, that rhymed. <laughs> That's why I said it. Okay, it's the backroom deal. It is back for a third season at the ChicagoReader.com. Ben and Maya uncover, well, the races that you need to know about in the primary election. There's a lot of them. They don't cover every single one of them, but the important ones that you need to know, like uh, Supreme Court, uh, Board of Review. Ben, what's Board of Review? Board of Review is the board that reviews your tax assessments, so it uh, impacts how much you pay in property taxes. You can learn a lot more about Border Review if you check out the Backroom Deal right now at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. I believe there's five uh, that you can listen to, five more to go. We're going to be producing those throughout the week. So be on the lookout for the Backroom Deal with Ben Jarofsky and Maya Duke-Masova. All things that you need to know about the primary elections. Don't be a clueless voter. Be an informed voter and check out the Backroom Deal. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. No listeners of the Ben Jarofsky Show are clueless voters. They're the smartest voters in the city of Chicago. That's correct. The county of Cook, the state of Illinois, and I realize we have many listeners from outside the Chicago area, outside of Hi, Illinois. Mom. <laughs> They're the smartest voters in the United States of America. And speaking of smart voters, Lisa Solomon is in the studio. She's here every other Thursday for Cannabis Conversation. Uh, and brings a mystery guest. Before you introduce your mystery guest, uh, what do you have to say? All right, I'm going to share some things with you. I've been to a lot of events over the last couple of weeks. With the All-Star Game, it brought even more social equity events to Chicago. It's really... NBA All-Star, basketball. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. thank you for clarifying that. So... One that I want to talk about that I was just at on Monday was at DePaul University. So yes, DePaul is now holding cannabis education events. And it's because they feel it's very important to move the needle on social justice and social equity. So it was called Illinois Cannabis Law, the Social Equity and Economic Impact. So Toy Hutchinson was there, the Illinois Cannabis Czar. Every time I hear Toy speak, she moves me. Just the way she shares about her history, people that she knows, and the communities have been impacted, it's very powerful. So I'm gonna put my glasses on. Okay, so as Toy will say, the adult use bill is actually a criminal justice reform and a drug policy reform bill wrapped in weed paper. <laughs> she said that? Um, you gotta give her credit. She came up with that rolling paper, like that kind of weed paper. She said weed paper. I wrote it down. Uh, She's amazing. Yeah, weed paper. That's like a new term. Back in the day, we called it rolling paper, right, D? That, Still call it rolling paper. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a new term. But you know what? It, it's okay. so true. Okay. And another is. thing, she was saying, like equity is not diversity and inclusion. It goes so far beyond that. That what you need to do is you need to take a community that was harmed buy the war on drugs and make it as normal as you can. Mm -hmm. So giving someone a $10 an hour job in the industry is not helping make that normal. A big piece of what I hear at all of these conferences is that you really need to think about building generational wealth. When you think about all these men that were imprisoned and the ones that are still sitting in prison for getting caught with one joint, mm. while you got other people making millions and millions of dollars, you know, where is the justice in that? 
Okay, so that was one of the big things. Then they have Scott Kelly, who is from the Vincentian office at DePaul. Did I say that right? Yes. Vincentian? Okay. So he was talking about it and said DePaul is in it because of the justice and equity issues. And he made a comment, if I go home and make myself a martini, or if I go to a bar and order one, is someone going to say to me, so is that a medical or a recreational (laughs) drink? (laughs) Good point. Good point. Or both. Right, right. Okay. And one more thing I want to share before I introduce the mystery guest. Dr. Perez, a professor there, was talking about mass incarceration from the war on drugs as being the civil rights issue of today. So think about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, and before a couple of things I want to say before we bring on the mystery guest. Actually, I hope my mystery guest uh, can address some of these issues. When I, I'm thinking about this uh, in retrospect, uh, Lisa, as I looked at sort of the evolution of Illinois on the issue of cannabis. Aren't you proud of cannabis? I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Mystery guest, I always call it a reefer, and they always give me a hard time about it, but, you know, I'm an old guy. Well, more when he calls it marijuana. That's when I... Well, reefer is what I always... Anyway, when I think of the evolution, it started with medical marijuana. And uh, obviously, that was a way that uh, society prepared itself to put aside all these myths and stereotypes uh, that uh, had been used to clobber the cannabis industry. Just the notion of people smoking a joint. The, just the notion of pe- people indulging. Just the notion that like Bill Clinton had to say, I didn't inhale. Just the hypocrisy that's embedded in all of this mm-hmm. stuff. It was like, okay, we can't go, f- it's like Bernie with Medicare for all. You know, we gotta start, we, we gotta have Obamacare. That, that overcomes that first hurdle. Now maybe we're gonna ex, uh, expand it to a, a greater public option. Then we get to Medicare. So we'll start with med, uh, medical marijuana. And that, I've always thought it's like, the point you made was such a good one, or the, the gentleman, whoever it was that you were quoting made, the notion like, when I have a martini, is that for medicinal purposes? Is it recreational purposes? Only, I was gonna say reefer, only cannabis, <laughs> only cannabis has to play that game. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Only cannabis has to play that game right now because we're not quite liberated from those confines that were put on us regarding the use of cannabis. Another thing where it's really separated out is the way the home grow law is written for patients. It has to be in a locked and secured facility. If you get caught with it unlocked and you have kids in the house, the state can take your children from you, if that's my understanding. However, you could have your opioids, your benzos, your alcohol sitting right on the counter and nothing happens to you. And of all those things, cannabis is the one thing that's that can't kill you and the raw plant can't get anyone high. So why that's a danger to children, I don't get it. All right, we have a special guest here that I wanna get to. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a wonderful experience with something he created last Friday night and it was an infused dinner. So with that, I'm gonna bring on Edgar Ramon and let him tell you more about his background and what he's doing. All right, Edgar, welcome to the show. Thank you for Uh, having me. Yeah, what was that, infused, what was the word that she used? Infused, so cannabis infused dinner parties. That's the business model that we're in. We, uh, We host and curate cannabis infused dinner experiences. What does that mean? We work with chefs who take the cannabis plant and find ways to infuse that into fine dining. 
multiple ways of doing that. I don't want to bore you on how they do it, but it is an ingredient that they love to cook with. But it also gives consumers a alternative to consuming cannabis in a completely different way. We thought of this because we, I believe that food is the number one common denominator of life. Right. And cannabis is starting to become a pretty common denominator as well. Starting to become. Well, as you mentioned, there's baby steps. right? You you start somewhere and you kind of grow from there. But it really ties everything in and everybody's finding a way to tie it into whatever they're doing. Politics, business, economics, social equity. Right. So it is a it is becoming, again, a very common denominator out there. But the business model is cannabis infused dinner parties. That's what we do. We threw one on Valentine's Day. Lisa uh, was there, experienced it. It was um, 50 so people in Wicker Park at a uh, art gallery. So very proud of at least coming out as legalization progresses. We wanted to make sure that we weren't doing these in the typical speakeasy kind of underground way. We wanted to make sure that we were a bit out in the open. We, we did a big 300-person New Year's Eve event at a event space, at a premier event space in the West Loop Fulton Market District area. And as we all know, that was slightly before adult use became legal. So it was really progressive. Um, it was really groundbreaking. Wait, it was New Year's Eve? It was New Year's Eve. So technically it was still uh, illegal. From Yeah, from the adult use perspective, um, absolutely. Unless everybody so. said, I got a headache. I need <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. Medical marijuana jokes. Uh, but continue, sorry. No, so we, um, I mean, what we do is the state of Illinois hasn't come out with their event licenses yet or mm-hmm. haven't come out with their consumption license rules yet. Um, they're still working on those. But what we do is... Our, our events are by private invitation only. So mm-hmm. all of our guests become members of the Chamba Life uh, group, and it's a gathering of private members is the way we look at it. So until we get more clarity on the rules as far as consumption lounges, events, things of that nature, we operate under those. Well, let's think about this for a moment. Uh, just the notion of infusing food with uh, cannabis I, I'm talking about, I'm thinking of the evolution that I just described for where we had to get the state of Illinois to tolerate uh, medical marijuana. You know what I'm saying? Somebody's really sick. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's still, we're still struggling with this issue with, with, with kids who are sick. Uh, and do, are we anywhere near the point in this state where like a restaurant can openly uh, promote itself? for its uh, cannabis-infused cuisine? Are we, are we at that point, anywhere near that point? No, unfortunately not. Um, it's a bit of a tricky subject because once you're able to just open your doors to the public, anybody can walk in off the street, you have no information about that person's tolerance levels, previous use, et cetera. I mean, so it's a little bit difficult too because when you consume it, in terms of eating it, your body has to digest it. So that means it can take hours before it even really kicks in. Unlike alcohol, where you slam four or five drinks right away, you're probably gonna start to notice an effect, at least most, I guess most people would. Um, Cannabis, you can consume it, especially as you're eating it, and it may not kick in. Therefore, they may leave. They may be completely gone from the restaurant and something occurs. And I just don't think that there's any way that, 
you know, there's a way of really protecting that. So what we do, again, is we ask people for tolerance levels. We have a consultation with them. We discuss, you know, what happens if they do start to feel over-elevated, under-elevated, things of that nature. It's a lot for a restaurant to kind of really bite off and, and, and handle. Not only that, I mean, we just don't have any real means of, of policing it once you you know somebody's out there and they're driving there's no breathalyzer there's no real means of detecting that somebody has overconsumed or is intoxicated or whatnot so it's i think in our lifetime it'll happen but it's not right around the corner is this legal right now in the state of illinois to have a party in which uh, food is infused with cannabis i'm not a lawyer uh, but the way I understand, I spent a lot of time and still do on understanding the laws. Um, the laws state that private consumption is legal, mm -hmm. right? So again, we do it by private invitation. We do it in locations that are not open to the public when we have them, whether we're renting them or we're using them. They're not open to the public. It clearly states on there, close for a private event. Um, our invitations all talk about that. So private consumption is legal. Uh, but again, there's still a, there's still no real rules in terms of having them in a open space where people can just come in publicly. So we don't do that yet. And do, do the people know when they come to these private parties that in fact they're going to have uh, cannabis infused food uh, on the table? One hundred percent. Right, 100%. and that's part of the law. It says you must let people know it's right. infused. And we actually use a lot of language that the state of Illinois uses, too, to kind of give people the warning that they're going to be consuming THC and what the effects are, things of that nature. We, we try to educate them on these things. But for the most part, most of our guests have been consumers for quite some time. <laughs> I love how you put that, man. <laughs> I mean, and something I'd like for you to talk about is, you know, <laughs> cannabis has been a unifier. You know, it's sort of part of the culture that, you know, you pass the joints around, you share it. And at your dinner, will you talk about like the mix of people that were there? Yeah, I mean, we've we we've had politicians and lawyers and doctors and you know, it, it's amazing that it really ranges. On New Year's Eve with 300 people, we had, first, all of our events are 21 and over. That is a no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but we've had people that were 21 all the way up to 80, I think mm -hmm. we had. Business owners, influential business owners here in the city, uh, restaurant owners, caterers, you know, things of that nature. So it's a pretty diverse group. Um, it's pretty amazing that now that it is legal, you are starting to hear certain people come out and say, oh, like I remember back when I, you know, used to smoke or I remember back when I tried it and, you know, really thinking about doing it again or they are still consuming and now they're happy to be able to say, I went to the dispensary. Yeah. By the way, I, uh, I just want to point out, we're going to get to the federal issue. I, Edgar and I share uh, a passion on this topic, but in the debate on the Tuesday, the Democratic debate, I don't know if you, either one of you heard it, Michael Bloomberg, who's still stuck in the past on, on his attitude about cannabis, uh, was saying, well, we need decriminalization. I'm really worried about what it's going to do to brains, young kids. And it, 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 it was, and I'm just sitting there listening to him thinking all of your friends, your entire 
I know people that work for you. I know people at Wall Street community. I know like the the your little world v- group that you hang with. They're either smoking it, eating it in their food. You know what I'm saying? And it just to pretend as though it it there's still that existence, Edgar, that old like uh, reefer madness syndrome. It still it still exists on a federal level. It's very it's very scary. But before we get to that. I'm going to deal with the issue of the tolerance levels, different tolerance levels. Uh, if you contrast a dentist to me, he can handle like bongs and bongs of, of cannabis. <laughs> Whereas uh, if I'm in the car with him, just a secondhand smoke. Hot box. Yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> just two dentists under the bottle. Yes, you that. do. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so how do you deal with if you're having a dinner party? How do you deal with the issue of the dentists in the bend and the contrasting tolerance levels? So first of all, uh, I'd love to talk more about the Bloomberg thing. I come from the finance world, so I spent we 20 will get plus to the years Bloomberg in, the, thing. Okay. In, the, in the financial yeah. world. So, uh, But funny enough, though, it's usually the people that claim that they have the highest tolerance levels that you got to watch out after. Mm, hear that, Dennis? The people that the, usually the people <laughs> that, that will tell you that they have a low tolerance levels, they pretty much police themselves. They're, mm-hmm. They know that they're a bit nervous, right? So they know that they have, you know, the ability to push the plate away if they want to, right? Or or set a little bit aside, right? But they'll come up to me and ask me questions about, so, you know, we, we try to discuss at every dinner, especially the smaller ones, we always discuss the milligrams per dish. We talk about the strains that we use. We talk about the effects that you can expect off of these strains. Sometimes we even time them so that we know that the effects are kicking in. But when people are a bit nervous, I'm a big believer that the plant in itself has many medicinal purposes. And again, this medicinal recreational thing is such a topic of conversation. I think it's all medicinal, <laughs> but, uh, but the fact is that people are gonna talk about it and they're gonna debate it. Um, but we also, I'm a big believer in that it's not just the psychoactive effect you're looking for, you're also looking for the body effect. So we try to introduce CBD, not just DHC, into our meals, into the into the entire experience. We might do welcome drinks or pairing drinks that are CBD only because the CBD actually will have the ability to counter uh, act against the THC. So when people do are nervous about getting too much THC, mm-hmm. we can substitute or add in CBD into their particular meals. Just to help people out. Uh, d- d- differentiate between CBD and uh, THC? So those are the two main cannabinoids inside of the, the cannabis plant, right? Those there's, there's arguably over 400 cannabinoids and THC is the one that people seek after when they're looking to get the high, mm-hmm. get that psychoactive high. CBD is probably the one that's more associated with healing benefits. So inflammation, pain, things of that nature. So you'll see CBD everywhere. CBD is now federally legal. That's the hemp farm bill that passed. That's what's federally legal. That's why you see it in gas stations and CVSs and Walmart and every place else. That's why a lot of people are starting to even consider doing infused meals and restaurants would be able to do this with CBD only. The reality is, though, the majority of the population that's pro-legalization is more interested in the <laughs> THC cannabinoid. That's putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all right, so let's say you're you're uh, having a dinner party. 
uh, and there's 100 people of various various tolerance levels. Will you say at the party, okay, so I, I don't know what, the, the quiche over here, the cannabis quiche. I, I don't know what why I said quiche. Do you even make quiche with cannabis? I just could. thought of quiche. You could. You could. Sure. All right. That's got a low tolerance, but the meatloaf, the cannabis meatloaf, it's got a higher tolerance. In other words, do you, do you let people know that there's various amounts of cannabis in each of the food yeah we try to do it in a way i mean it's difficult depending on what kind of party you're having when you're having a smaller intimate party say eight to twelve people it's a lot easier to do those things when you're catering to 300 people like new year's eve was it's a lot harder so you got to kind of err on the side of caution but to give you an example most of the you know most of the infusion methods are not directly inside of the main ingredient. They're usually a finishing touch. So most people, most chefs like to infuse fats because that absorbs, it, it, it bonds well inside of the fat, like oils or butters, your coconut oil, avocado oils, olive oils. Um, that it, it bonds, and also your body bonds well with the fat, so you to, truly get the effect of that cannabinoid, the THC or the CBD, whichever one you're looking for. Um, so, for instance, you might do a tuna tartare and the avocado is infused. So somebody can eat the tuna tartare without having any of the infusion in it if they don't dip it into the avocado. So on New Year's Eve, we actually made every dish optional. The finishing touch, people can say, Give me a little bit of extra of the of the medicated version, or I'll take none of uh -huh. the medicated version. Yeah, right. So the chefs have a way of actually being able to exclude it from the meal if somebody chooses to. All right. So you said that your background, you had background in finance. So you're not a chef. I'm not a chef. So you're not the person I'm who a does. Foodie. You're a food. You eat. I eat. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I have a sandwich. I can't wait to get into when you said <laughs> avocados. It's got avocado on. I can't wait. Uh, so uh, what's your background that got you to this point? So I mentioned, yeah, I was in the finance space. I was in the derivative markets for 20 plus years and uh, very interesting, of course, you know, in that 20 years, we saw a lot, particularly around the housing crisis, the financial market crisis of 2008 to 12 and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, a lot of my friends around that 2015 timeframe when Illinois was talking about passing and going medical and, 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 and releasing their pilot program left a lot of industries like finance and, and, and insurance and legal to pursue it, looking at it as this is going to be the next emerging market. Well, I held off, but it kept coming back to me. And you'd be surprised how many, I guess, similarities there are between the derivatives world and the cannabis world. For instance, we went, the derivatives world went from the most unregulated market in the world to the most regulated market during the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. We introduced Dodd-Frank, we introduced a lot of new rules and regulations. Um, I was part of helping write or review or consider some of these regulations, looking at fair and transparent markets. Well, what's cannabis doing? It's going from the most unregulated schedule one drug, right, to the most regulated market. The reason why, not the only reason, of course, but one of the reasons why it's not federally legal is they just don't have enough information out there and they don't have enough rules out there to just say, let's make this federally legal. Mm -hmm. That's a polite way of putting it. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of other ways of it. But that got me on the Banking and Finance Committee at the National Cannabis Industry Association. They're the biggest lobbyist group out there. Um, 
you know, I had experience in rules and regulations, especially introducing them in a fair and transparent way. And that's what cannabis is going through right now. Well, I would argue, this is just a, a, to go back to what you said, that actually before it, uh, in Illinois, it, or in any state where it's now legal, uh, it was overly regulated in that it was illegal. And so what you had was a black market that uh, existed uh, outside the law. So there was no, uh, your point is that there was no regulation over that black market because it was an illegal market that existed outside the law. Now that it, it, when it becomes legal, there are all the rules and regulations that you and Lisa have been alluding to uh, governing everything from, you know, whether you could keep it uh, just open out in your household right. uh, at the risk of losing your child to, you know, to the state, uh, to whether you can have a party uh, in a, a private home as opposed to a public. So it's only when it comes out of into the realm of being legal Edgar, do you have the regulatory over? Agreed, side? agreed. Right, I stand corrected. I mean, there's no, there's, there's, there's no. It's not regulated in the legal sense, right? We don't have anything around. Well, we have some things, but it's still got a ways to go before it is literally walking into a bar and saying, "I'll take a sativa or an indica, or I'll take a purple Kush or a wedding cake," and no one's going to ask why. It's just simply here you go. And when I mentioned before uh, Bloomberg's attitude. Uh, toward uh, cannabis as he expressed on the stage and you said oh I, I would love to go into that based on my years uh, in the finance industry what were you what, what did you want to get at well I mean you, you talked on that you know yeah people in Wall Street have been consumers of all kinds of drugs for since the beginning of time right <laughs> since the beginning of Wall Street I mean it's just there's never drug testing in in that particular space because there's just been so much consumption I think just just you know Bloomberg's just got a a, a view I think of a lot of um, wealthy individuals of his status and 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 in in that particular era in that age group that still are completely against it in terms of you know, it wasn't, we weren't happy with potheads and, you know, people not wanting to go to war or join the military or even work because they were potheads. They still have that, like, inside, you know, that that's their thinking of it. That's mm -hmm. that's who they feel is, is people that consume cannabis, right? They don't think it's the doctors or the lawyers or the professionals or other politicians, right? They look at it as the stereotype, typical you know, pothead from the Woodstock era and, and things of that nature. And honestly, you know, we, we you know mentioned a little bit about you using the word marijuana and reefer versus cannabis and all that. And I, I got a little, you know, look, when I got into this world of cannabis from a professional point of view and, and getting into it from business and, and, and seeing what's going on, uh, I learned new all kinds of new words, stigma, stig destigmatize and normalization and and I started thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, these all seem like words that people are using to to kind of justify it, you know? What's wrong with reefer? What's wrong with marijuana? What's wrong with <laughs> smoking a joint or what's wrong with saying I want to get high? I yeah. mean, our our pioneers, the people that really were 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 shamed and put in the corner for doing that, saying that and calling themselves that growing their hair long and wearing leather vests and and, and tassels and, and and smoking and standing up for it right to this day are still being said that's wrong yeah 
come on. I mean, that's, you know, those were the pioneers of it. So, and that's why some people are saying never call it the black market, call it the legacy market. The legacy Because these market. are the people that have been doing it. It's existed for eons. The legacy market. Yeah, show some respect for that's these That's actually experts. funny. Legacy. I'm going to write that down. Legacy market. Uh, I just, we're going to, I just have to say this before we take a break and we'll come right back. Uh, that it was politicians who, I kept, my good friend Kelly Cassidy would go, Ben, don't call it reefer. Toy Hutchinson, when she would come on the show, Ben, don't call it reefer because it makes it that much harder to get up the votes, you know, and you got to call it cannabis. So they'd be like, Ben, call it cannabis. So that's how I got into this, Edgar, trying to police myself. But I'm with you 100%. Yeah. In my mind, it's reefer. And uh, uh, yeah, I think the, uh, it, it's all embedded in the hypocrisy of the war on drugs. The hypocrisy, which still continues on the federal level and has an impact on, on the industry that uh, you're getting involved in, Edgar. And we'll talk about that when we come back from this break. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, D. Yeah? Did I tell you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is sponsored by Rattleback Records? No. Well, it is. Rattleback Records at 5405 North Clark Street is Andersonville's full-service record store. Hey, D. Did I tell you it was voted one of Chicago's best record stores in the 2019 Chicago Reader Poll? No. Well, it was. Wow. Rattleback Records, 5405 North Clark Street. Used and new LPs and 45s. They got CDs, DVDs, books, gifts, and much more. For more information, contact them at rattlebackrecords.com. That's R-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-C-K Records. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Got Edgar Ramon and Lisa Sama talking cannabis. We'll come back. Uh, i got to talk about the feds. Donald John Trump. Republican Party, wake up on this issue. Uh, it's still illegal uh, on the federal level. That quote, someone once told me, oh, who was it? The PC, Peter Cunningham said, if Donald John Trump uh, came off with the legalization of uh, cannabis, not marijuana, not reefer, uh, on a federal level, he would be reelected. I think it was Peter that said that. Anyway, D, you got an update before we do that? I just want to remind everybody, the song you're hearing is The Curls. The band, good friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, Mick Fanzler, has been on the program. Go download that episode. Mick Fansler and Ben talk, uh, what'd you guys talk about? We Pelosi talked, Gate? We, we talked Bernie, Pelosi. Mick and I have contrasting views of Nancy Pelosi, but we're still friends. Yeah, he's in the band The Curls, and uh, they're going to be playing, I believe, on March 13th. I'll get the details on that uh, throughout the week here. But we're playing that song because we're, well, first off, it's our anniversary. It's one year. One year. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Thanks. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. One year we've yeah. been doing this podcast. And, uh, well, 
moving forward into year two, we got to find new music. It turns out uh, there's copyright strikes going on. So if you're in a local band or you know someone who's in a band and uh, they need some exposure and uh, they would like us to play their music, well, we'd be more than happy to play their music. All right. Feel free to reach us. Show at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. Just send me an MP3 uh, and a permission slip. (laughs) A letter from your lawyer. Okay. (laughs) Saying yes. We have permission, Edgar. You won't believe it. You think you have troubles with the feds. We have trouble with cease and desist letters from lawyers. Don't play that song. So yeah, let's uh, all hands on deck here. All right. If you're listening on the live stream chat, find some uh, music that's local and send it our way. If you're on the download, send some music our way as well. Let us know if we can play that, and we will do that into year two of the Ben Jarofsky Show podcast. And uh, we'll always, we'll, the Bendrovsky Show will always be here, all right? No matter uh, where we're at, well, we'll find out. But you know what? We'll always be here. Download our shows at uh, chicagoreader.com, chicagosuntimes.com, and wherever else you download your podcasts. All right, very good. Thanks, D. Uh, Edgar, federal issues regarding cannabis. It's illegal on the federal level. It's state by state. Uh, so, like, I, I it was... We talked about Bloomberg during the debate. He said, well, I will not interfere with a state that wants to legalize marijuana, which is a little different than what was going down in the Obama years when there were some issues with California and federal uh, raids. Uh, and in the Bush years when the great Tommy Chong was sent to federal prison. Uh, so, you know, it varies president to president on this issue, and it must uh, have an impact on businesses like yours. Not my business, not so much because we're just we're Chicago market only right now. But it does impact a lot of the other bigger vertically integrated companies out there. I mean, if you want to multi, if you want to operate in multiple states right now, it's almost as though you just if you want to operate in five states, it's like you have you own five companies. They're all independently ran. They really can't overlap. Maybe in some areas like HR or. You know, some of the some of the operational stuff, it's possible. But in terms of like banking, they can't bank together, can't transfer money to each other. They can't share products. They can't do any of that stuff. So federally, I mean, since it's still illegal and state by state, it makes it a big challenge for the bigger companies out there that are trying to be multi-state operators. And I'm afraid even if it does go federally legal and, you know, we don't know. A lot of that's going to depend on who's in office here next, mm-hmm. um, you know, and even depending on who's in office, that could take some time. Again, sorting through the rules, how they're going to regulate it, who's going to regulate it. I don't know that the FDA has the time or the budget to do it, so somebody's going to have to. Um, but even if it does become federally legal, I think it still is a state-by-state run program. So a state can still say no, just like counties can say no. Right, even though it's legal in Illinois, mm. a certain city, town, county, or et cetera can say no. I think that's how it's going to work as well. Not just because, I mean, again, it's difficult to like regulate it across borders once you're doing cross borders, mm-hmm. but it also gives the opportunity for some of these bigger companies to still hold on to the profits they can make right now by saying, well, you, you dispensaries here in Illinois can only buy from. Illinois cultivators, mm-hmm. right? Versus saying, okay, now you can buy anywhere, yeah. which would then start driving prices down, start adding to supply, and you know the biggest companies out there probably don't want that to happen. Uh, you might hear it in my tone, I'm a little bit against the biggest companies out there and prefer the smaller craft growers. And 
I noticed mom that. Mom and pop stop type by, of operations. By the way, I just want to give, uh, tomorrow we'll have uh, Zach Kausty coming in, union activist, union organizer who is organizing in the uh, uh, cannabis industry. Uh, so the union movement is growing in that industry and to make sure that uh, uh, the people who have hit hardest on the war of drugs get some benefits from legalization. And one thing are jobs uh, in uh, dispensaries, what have you, where they pay a decent wage. So uh, that's one thing uh, we'll be talking about tomorrow. Uh, does it impact you? Uh, to, some of the uh, medical uh, dispensary operators would always be telling me about the impact of uh, the federal laws on banking matters. Has that hurt your business uh, in terms of getting banking, getting checking accounts, anything like that? No, we don't. Um, so again, the way we operate the business is we don't sell the cannabis in any way, shape, or form. So we're not technically touching the flower is the way that the banking side calls it. If you're touching the flower, you're directly involved in that cannabis industry. And yeah, it's been tough, but it's not tough for the biggest companies. And the banks are starting to, to loosen up a bit. We're starting to see more and more banks become a little bit more friendly to banking the industry. It's not the easiest thing. And again, because they don't have any guidelines, it's not as though they've been doing this forever. So they need to be a bit cautious about it. I mean, you've got suspicious activity reporting that the banks have to deal with. So when you're a big company and you've got thousands and thousands of small transactions happening a day, you know, $50 here, $100 there, $200 there, that's a hard activity to really try to monitor. So I think that's a big reason why the banks are kind of still being cautious about it, mm -hmm. but they are loosening up. That's good to hear. Touching the flower. I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. Uh, that sounds obscene. Uh, uh, so Lisa, any uh, closing thoughts you want to leave us with before we head out the door? Yeah, just a couple things. One, the NFL announced earlier this week that they removed cannabis from the list of substances they test their players for. Thankfully, now these guys have the option of using cannabis instead of staying on the opioids mm -hmm. if well, they choose to get off. You you heard me ranting on the, uh, you mentioned that while we were at break and I went yes. on a rant and a rail at your- Just a bit. Uh, the utter hypocrisy, the mm -hmm. NFL, uh, they, they make their living out of ha having big, strong men run at full speed into each other, causing all kinds of internal injuries to their brains and bones. And when these big grown men who are old enough to know what's best for them smoke a joint, they're subject to rules that could kick them out of the gate. The mm -hmm. utter hypocrisy, Edgar, I get, still get f fired up over that one. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad that the NFL took that step and you know the MLB did it first. Baseball. So baseball did it first and, and the NFL, it's great that they did it now. But there's a big difference between you know saying, okay, we're no longer going to test for that or and then, so, are you going to tolerate it, though? Are you still going to say, okay, if your player is known, like, seen out in public, consuming, smoking, Valid anything point. like that, are they just going to say, hey, we're okay with that because we no longer test for it? Yeah. I, I, I don't know about that. This gets it. I'm telling you, I've... I, now I'm going to go on another rant because I listen to sports talk shows. And I remember when, uh, down the last 10 years, a player would get busted. And the, the, the sports talk hosts would be saying, well... Uh, they would put the spin, well, you know, he was immature, but he's going to grow. Will he develop? Will he be more mature? I'm like, you guys are going home and smoking reefer. 
you guys are the biggest phonies and frauds in the world to act as though some basketball player who got busted for smoking reefer or some football player who got busted did something wrong or immature. You know the hypocrisy embedded in this, and we're still struggling with this uh, very much. The point you just made, yeah, will yes, they they're not going to uh, test them for it, but will they wag the finger at right. them? Right. And that, and that's, you know, we'll, we'll see. I can't imagine that they're just going to, you know, a player is out there openly consuming, smoking or whatever, even in the privacy of his home. They still have this image that they want their players to represent. Right. And they may the owners may just say, hey, that's not the image we represent. I mean, the owner being interviewed with a scotch in his hand. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. There's a uh, good point. And what okay. else you got for us? One last thing for closing. You said something about kids earlier and kids mm-hmm. rights with cannabis. So State Representative Bob Morgan, who was one of the people that wrote the medical bill, uh, is very involved in advocating for pediatric patient rights. And he's been working very hard to make changes. And he will be speaking and leading a panel of parents at NECAN, Illinois, the Illinois Cannabis Convention. I can't remember if it's April 3rd or 4th that he's on the schedule. But take a look at that. We're going to have a lot of great talks. And one other thing, March 19th, Thursday, just before the NCIA meeting, the reader is hosting a panel on growing and harvesting cannabis at home at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. You can go to chicagoreader.com slash green to see more information. Do that again. What was that? Chicagoreader.com slash green. G-R-E-E-N. Very good. Uh, my beloved Chicago Reader. Been writing for the Chicago Reader since 1984 when marijuana was very much illegal. Uh, and uh, so very, uh, thank you very much, Elisa Solomon. Every other week she comes in with the Cannabis Conversation. Also want to thank Edgar Ramon uh, for stopping by uh, earlier in the show. Uh, Peter P.C. Cunningham, now they talk politics. He played the guitar and sang a great song. Miles Conflossen began the, the show from In These Times. Uh, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend. We're one year old. We could not have done it without the young man from Alton, Illinois, uh, dutifully working that board. He's a magician at that board. And as Lisa Solomon can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White White Lightning. Lightning. (laughs) Keep yourself (laughs) raised. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Name's Dennis, by the way. Uh, downloaders, you know we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Join us on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And lucky you, you'll be able to join the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. Hang out with Bruce Bruce. Nathaniel. How's it going, Nathaniel? You're a new listener. Jay Marie. Johnny Joe. Brianna and the rest. The Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. Hang out with like-minded political junkies and a couple trolls. We'll see you tomorrow. Take a chill pill, man. That's correct.